Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Katie Patrick about why optimism, creativity, and imagination are so important to changing the world. Katie Patrick, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it is a pleasure. I've been following you and your work for a long time now. And uh, when we reached out a while back, you know, to try to get connected for an episode, I was just so thrilled. Um, I'm really excited to explore the social impact space with you. This is a passion that we both have. And I, you know, it's just very, very important work. And so I'm excited, you know, for our conversation together today. The way I'm going to frame this today is that uh, we're going to talk about why optimism, creativity, and imagination are so important to changing the world, again, from a social impact lens. Uh, and, and it's just going to be a lot of fun. As we get started, I want to share Katie's bio with everybody. Katie Patrick is an Australian-American environmental engineer, designer, and author of How to Save the World, How to Make Changing the World the Greatest Game We've Ever Played, and hosts the podcast, How to Save the World, where she investigates academic research in environmental psychology. Uh, that's only a brief snippet of all the stuff that cool stuff that you do. Anything else you want to share with listeners by way of your background or personal context before we launch on into the conversation? Oh, well, I think I'm also a, a user interface gamification designer. So I also work on something that's really neat called Energy Lollipop, which kind of gamifies and shows you real-time emissions. So my, my core passion underneath all of this is the feedback loop of environmental data and making that feedback loop fun and exciting to interact with. That's super interesting. Uh, I can't claim to fully understand everything you were just describing. Um, but uh, I think gamification uh, is, is always a great thing when we can tap that into, you know, just to enhance our, our, our learning and retention and, and motivation in terms of, of these sorts of issues. So I think that's wonderful. And uh, environmental sustainability is a huge part of, of what we're talking about when we talk about social impact work and changing the world. And I just for anyone watching the video, I, I note, you know, your background, um, which is beautiful. Do you mind just describing that for uh, listeners here really quickly? Yeah, so my Zoom background is this wonderful building called the Bosco Verticale, and it means vertical forest in Italian. And it is an apartment building that's completely covered in 2,000 trees. So instead of just making an apartment building that's a giant concrete obelisk, which is what apartment buildings usually are, it's completely covered by greenery. And so this building is the future, and that's a lot to do with what my optimism and imagination work is about is trying to get people to imagine what cities would look like if they were covered in greenery. And a lot of the times these are 
kind of science fiction, futuristic artistic renderings, but this one is actually real. Like it's been built and the trees are there and um, there's more and more of them going up around the world, which is really exciting. Yeah, that is just so amazing. And it's, it's really, man, it just makes me hopeful because like you say, so much of this, so much of this world of social impact, um, you know, we, we have all these grand ambitions and we, we have all these aspirations, but a lot of it does sometimes seem a bit, you know, like sci-fi or, or just so far off in the future. But when we can see, you know, real things being implemented uh, that r- dramatically change uh the conditions that we're in, uh, it, it's just really inspiring and, and, and gets me excited to continue the work, even though sometimes you feel like you're beating your head against the wall, trying to make a difference. Um, so that's, that's why we're talking about optimism today. Um, so let's start there. Why optimism? Um, and then we'll lead into creativity and imagination uh, into driving change in the world. But why do we start with optimism? Why is that so essential? Well, you just summed it up in what you were just saying. Like when you saw my um, background image, I'm not sure. Have you ever asked people on your podcast about their Zoom backgrounds before? I'm not sure I have. (laughs) Yeah. So this is the first time just by putting a simple picture that's one of my favorite pictures up that's instantly gotten you to start talk about feeling hopeful, starting to feel optimistic, starting to feel excited about the future. One of the core things that we need to do to engage people in the innovation and the behavior change and the policy, all of the stuff is to give people the I have a dream speech for the planet. Now, the environmental movement has largely come out of being reactive to bad things that have happened. You know, there were terrible uh, toxic pollution events like Love Canal, some people might know about, Um, the Bhopal disaster in India where a whole lot of people were killed by chemicals, deforestation, whales being killed there's like there's so many problems so where the whole movement was come came out of being reactive to bad things that were happening and so that has infiltrated the entire communications tone of the environmental profession which makes sense when you think about it in that context but now we're having a new shift and we really need this shift to start taking hold in a big way which is instead of telling the story of what we don't want we need to start telling the story of what we do want and That's because we need to get our heads around that building an environmentally sustainable civilization is much more like the JFK speech of we we, we go to the moon, not because it is easy, but because it is hard. It's one of these enormous, epic, problem-solving, complex, civilization-changing movements. And we need to captivate people's imagination to be able to do the complex problem-solving. This isn't just do a top 10 easy green tips and we'll get there. And it's also not, we can just bring in a carbon tax and it will all be solved. There are millions and gazillions of little tiny pieces of this puzzle that need to be problem solved. Like simple things to do with electric vehicles, properly being charged and being able to get your kids to school on an electric bike or a scooter without having to do use you know a giant SUV to drop your kids off. I mean, there are just so many of these problems that need to be worked on and we really need to unleash the big innovation imagination space and just telling people you know we're cooking the earth and it's all going to melt and die is not going to cap it's not going to captivate people and it doesn't work so one of the core things to leadership to be able to get your community of people to step up to a challenge is being able to show them a dream or a vision 
it's actually called a cognitive alternative, which is a really boring way to say it, but that's like the academic term that you can use. But you actually tell people there is an alternative reality. And that's kind of what, what can gravitate people towards being able to, you know, get into this movement. And so that's what Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech was. It was saying that there is this other alternative universe, this other alternative world that we can work towards. So it's essential for leaders to be able to start not just telling that there's all these problems, but explaining this other possible world. The other part of it is the neuroscience of how we problem solve and how we do creative work. If you really stress somebody out, you activate their amygdala, you activate their fight or flight response. And then what that directly does is takes energy out of the prefrontal cortex where you're going to do your finer creative problem solving. So if you're asking for people to engage in complex problem solving, which is what you need, if, even if you just want to put a solar panel on your house, that's a complicated thing to go through, let alone designing a solar panel policy for a whole lot of people or building a startup, right? So if you're constantly slashing people's cognitive ability by 30% through the fear message, you're not putting them in the headspace that they're going to really need to be in to do all of the problem solving. And one of the guests I recently interviewed for my podcast, he's a cognitive scientist, he did a test on people and showed them scary images of climate change versus climate solutions, which are you know, wind turbines or solar panels, and found that people actually reduced their concentration and they had a freezing effect. It triggers the fight or flight response. It freezes your cognitive ability. So it's a pretty dreadful way to activate people to engage in behaviors and also to engage in, in complex problem solving. But so there's a perfectly great antidote to all of this, which is pictures of vibrant eco cities showing the future we want, talking about the I have a dream speech. And when we have that, you know, it, in, it builds our optimism, it builds our imagination, it feels good, we're able to learn better when we feel good. But my central passion about optimism and creativity and imagination is really the deep innovation work. It's not just let's all feel good about the planet so we recycle more and we can be like, happily turning the lights off and happily recycling, I've got a much deeper message that I want to see people taking on environmental sustainability, the way some people want to go to Mars, that really sort of deep passion to do something epic for humanity. I want to kind of unlock that, that, that deep long-term passion in people. And I think the environmental imagination exercises, that is the way to do it. Well, that's, that's so well said. And I couldn't help but think about some of the examples of the fear-based messaging that we see all around us, not just in terms of the environmental movement, uh, but in politics, in you know, all sorts of discourse that we see. And one specific example that came to mind was uh, my, my 15-year-old daughter who was going through driver's ed, and they have this requirement where a parent has to go with the child, and then they have to they sit through this like scared, stupid kind of video where they just see all these horrific accidents, and they're like, "Don't text while you drive," and and so all of this um, is completely fear based. And I couldn't help but think, you know, how how effective is this really to get people to to not act in certain ways, and instead of trying to provide a picture of how to act in responsible ways um, that will, will be beneficial to everyone around them. And certainly within the environmental movement, and we talk about climate change, for example, you know, so much of it has been fear-based and we, we have to have a, a healthy recognition of the scope and scale of the problems we're facing. We can't sugarcoat it, but we have to have optimism for what 
changes are possible, what we can actually accomplish. Otherwise, we're just scared. Uh, and if we're just scared, we're not doing stuff. We're not getting new things done. We're not continuing the, the narrative and the dialogue in a way that will bring in new people um, to, to understand the issues and then drive lar- you know, wider scale community and societal change. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. I think in the example with um, terrifying your daughter into being a safe driver, I mean, it, it might be good to have some scary scenarios. I think with something like driving where there's a very real relationship between the behaviors that make unsafe driving and there's really sort of terrifying deadly consequences perhaps it's a good fit in in that scenario but when we're talking about things like climate change and environmental sustainability we've really got a unique issue in that a lot of these things are commons meaning that we all share the atmosphere we all share the air and you don't get a direct benefit from a lot of these environmental behaviors. The only benefit you're getting for yourself is that you feel better. Like it's to do with your identity, your sense of morality of of who you are. So it's a bit different to things like smoking and going to the gym and safety, where there's a very direct relationship between your own personal gain. What makes environmental psychology really different to the other types of behavioral um, psychology. But so Getting into this fear versus optimism uh, thing. Now, I don't think we need to get rid of all of the sense of urgency. That's a really important part of the message. But one thing I really love to do with any type of communication is follow this storytelling template of the hero's journey, which some people might have heard of. It's like a standard 12-step narrative that almost every Hollywood film uses. And it works because it's reflective of the way that we think. And one thing that makes storytelling really work is having contrasts between, you know, something terrible could happen, but it doesn't need to be terrible. It could be really awesome. And they use this in just your, you know, the old school infographic, um, not infographic, sorry, infomercials, where you have someone like on the couch and they're really overweight and it's got that blue tone. And then they contrast it to the sports model on the, you know, on the exercise equipment. But this 
contrast is really powerful in storytelling and all of the you know great speeches have been analyzed to show this contrast and so when you bring the hero's journey storytelling template which I just I just love and I can't get enough of I never ever deviate from it it naturally has this contrast in it you talk about the ordinary world right which is we have these problems and then the ordinary world is contrasted against this call to adventure but we could have this amazing world you really want to live in a world that's covered in concrete and climate change well we could have a world that's covered in vibrant eco cities where we all get along and then nature comes back and we have wildlife corridors you're putting this contrast together and then the third step is you have objections to the call where people go well that's a little bit crazy is it really possible and i know it really really is possible and we can do it because of these different reasons and then you call them into the adventure and you say well would you like to come with me i've showed you the contrast i've dealt with your objections i've given you some legitimacy of why we can possibly do it now come with me and i'll invite you to come with me on this journey and let's figure it out and when you frame it in this five step process it all kind of starts to make sense and it's genuinely really captivating and you do have both stories in there you have the polar opposite of the scary reality of climate change and also the wonderful future and I think when you explain it that way it's really exciting and you also don't forget there's no kind of like naive complacency and forgetting and um, sort of ostrich putting your head in the sand of the reality of climate change it's really working with this contrast However, all of the environmental engineers and environmental scientists that largely work in sustainability have never heard of the hero's journey. We don't go to authoring school or film writing school or advertising school. Like the, the most of the people are technical professionals who are trying to, you know, fix up the world. And we're not communications professionals. And so this style of communication is not filtering through to the type of people whose job it is who is often putting these campaigns together so what you end up happening is just step one you know the ordinary world the problem in the 12-part story and then it ends there and you're like okay you know but there's five steps to start the story and then if you keep going there's 12 steps to end to the to the happy ending so I mean if we're only going one of the 12 steps in the story you're only going to be saying, well, everything's really terrible. There's all this other stuff you need to communicate um, as well. So I just think everybody's just got to do a course in the hero's journey. Um, I've got a chapter yeah. on it in my book. Um, and just, you know, just really start learning about the psychology and the art of, of communication and, and of, of behavior change. I mean, it's a wonderful field to, to study. I mean, I immerse myself in it. It's fascinating. Yeah, so, so interesting. And it is all about influence and impact, isn't it? And so we need to message, we need to um, create a narrative and a story that is compelling to people that can uh, connect with them, can hook them and can drive behavior change that drives community and societal change, um, you know, collectively. And so we, we can't uh, look past the importance of the, the way we frame, the way we message and uh, just how we communicate and influence others around us, uh, you know, that, that's important in any sort of leadership that we do in an organization. Uh, certainly, it's, it's uh, relevant when we're talking about environmental sustainability and, and change in our communities and social impact and things of that nature. 
the, the, the last thing I want to touch on briefly, I know we're getting short on time, um, but you've already talked a little bit about imagination, creativity, imagination that drives innovation. Uh, let's speak a little bit more to that. Um, optimism can then lead, it opens, it creates an environment where people feel like they can in a psychologically safe way um, imagine and create and innovate. And that's what we need in a changing world. We need to, to drive innovation. Um, what, what do you see as perhaps maybe a hindrance to that? And how can we overcome that to, to better foster, you know, this, this imagination and creativity within ourselves and within, you know, the, the groups that we are involved in? Sure what actively hinders it, because I just don't really see it done. I mean, ever anywhere I mean in the context of what I do in sustainability I mean I probably do it at, at Pixar they probably do it in Hollywood uh, maybe in toy companies at Barbie they probably all get together and think up you know what the next Barbie is going to be um, but I have maybe a couple of times but rarely if ever have I seen people in environmental sustainability um, and climate change really sit down for a workshop or a conference or just an enormous brainstorm about let's just dream up what the future world is and then let's reverse engineer that. I mean, I this is core to the design theme in my book. So my book is a 10-step process taking you through a whole lot of exercises, many of which are based on academic case studies in behavioral science and gamification design it's not just a kind of a, a touchy-feely thing um, but there are a few steps which go into this which is imagine the future world but it's not just this uh, kind of like sort of artistic rambling thing it's really very scientific so what I ask the exercise is to actually come up with a measurable goal that this world is so it could be zero carbon pollution it could be zero waste it could be 50 percent of urban covering covered with greenery and so you put this in the in the middle of the page is the number and then the exercise is to come up with 100 ideas of how to get there so you have the data of where we are now you have the data of where we want to go in between them is the spine of measurable change it's really super obvious you have a, a destination imagine if you were trying to lose weight you would be like so many pounds here so many pounds there you track it when it comes to sustainability, we don't do this stuff enough, right? So anyway, we figure out our goal and then we're just trying to figure out how do we get there? How do we get there? If we want to increase green space, well, would we plant more trees? Would we do green roofs? Would we work with schools? You know, where would we even start? Like, let's just figure this out. And so then you are in this intense brainstorming process about how you would, you know, get to this number. And then that should illustrate you a pathway to get from here to there. Now, I just kind of like made this up because it was something I kind of learned from psychology and self-help books. You know, sometimes you would do this just for your own life. And I'm like, well, people tell me if I want to make my perfect life, I can do all these different kind of entrepreneurial exercises. I mean, why can't we apply this to climate change or, you know, eco cities or pollution? And when you start doing that, it's a it's a really wonderful, exciting, fun process. So I don't know why when they have the air pollution conference, everybody, you know, presents their research papers on air pollution. Why don't they just put the number in the middle of the lecture screen and just get everybody to like, let's just brainstorm on how we get the number down. Just like brainstorm, 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 brainstorm to kind of activate that energy. 
I mean, that's what I would like to see people doing more of. And the more expertise you get, the better you get at it. So, you know, if you keep doing it like once every few months, you're only going to get better ideas and get more insightful. So I'm not sure what's hindering it, but it is definitely not taught. It's not in the consciousness. I don't know why people aren't doing it. I'm out there trying to um, trying to beat the jump, drum and, and spread the message about it. But, I mean, everybody should be doing these type of exercises all, all the time. Yeah, well, I think that's well said. I mean, that's that's what's keeping it from happening is is just a lack of understanding, a lack of awareness um, to to take that kind of an approach. And it's it's much needed, as you said. Well, Katie, it has just been a real pleasure. The time has flown by. Uh, I imagine we could continue on this topic and and adjacent topics for hours and hours. Uh, but I want to be respectful of your time and let you get back to your busy day. But before we close today, I just want to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, your book, your podcast, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Oh, um, yeah, thank you. Uh, well, I do have my book, How to Save the World, which I would encourage anyone to get and work through. So, so it's called How to Save the World. It's on my website, katiepatrick.com, or it's on Amazon. I'd also like to encourage people to subscribe to my podcast, also called How to Save the World, where I take a really deep intellectual dive with academic experts who study research papers on this stuff. We're not just talking about it randomly. There's the people who do um, you know, tests with real people, and it's deeply insightful. I, I get an enormous out of interviewing these, these people. And I'm actually launching next month something called the Imagination Project. So have a look out for that. I'll put it on my website. Follow me on, on social media. It's just at, at Katie Patrick on Twitter and at Katie Patrick Hello on Instagram. And if anybody's excited about this idea of imagining the new world, I will be launching a project about this that people can get involved in. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Katie. It has been a pleasure. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Katie can do for you and your team. Check out the podcast, check out her book, check out upcoming resources. So many great things. I'm just so amazed by all the good work you do, Katie. Uh, and I hope people will tap into that. Uh, as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. alchemy of truly remarkable leadership, ordinary everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years with increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition. The average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. 
Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.